maybe the 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 best approach for a learner is to be able to say what problem is this bit of technology yeah. solving for me rather than just adopting it because it's easy to use or because there's a kind of helpful marketing message yeah. or a kind of shiny marketing message actually thinking what is the problem that this thing this particular bit of technology is solving yeah. for me a little taste of what to come there in today's episode of reaching for words Today's guest is an old friend of mine. We go way back to when we were both English teachers. He's Joe Sayers, and Joe is a language learner, a teacher, and more recently, a language technologist. In today's episode, we talk about Joe's experience learning Turkish, some of his thoughts around the traits he sees in good language learners, and we also go deep into technology, the pros and the cons of the various language learning apps which are out there. So, let's get into the episode. Hey Joe, welcome to the podcast, good to talk again. Hello, yeah, nice to be here. Yeah, great, so um, Joe and I go way back now to our days as a teacher back in uh, Bath Academy where we both worked a couple of summers uh, teaching some lucky English students who are coming to learn English and um, we've kind of, Joe's been connected to languages since then um, in various guises, so we've got Joe the language learner, Joe the teacher and Joe the Technologist, so I kind of want to introduce you, um, or I want us to meet all of those three today, but with a special emphasis on Joe the Tech Guy. Um, but maybe just to kind of kick things off, could you give us a bit of an intro to yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, never thought of myself as divided into those three categories before, but I guess it <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> so how did you first get into languages? Um, so first got into languages, actually, well, I did GCSE French, but I don't think that counted as getting into languages, really. It was <laughs> more of a, yeah, it was the start, but was also something which I never really engaged with particularly. Um, mm -hmm. And my dad was actually really good at, at French and was a was completely self-taught. Well, he went along to some evening classes, but w w was really kind of proactive in in his learning of French. And I I always sort of saw that as quite attractive, but actually never really enjoyed the French lessons at school and 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 didn't really kind of commit to it. But then I suppose the first time separate to school was when um well I was traveling around the Middle East and uh arrived in Turkey um, and actually was spending longer in Turkey than I had had planned because of some other visa issues and mm -hmm. um I really liked it there and I met some really nice people um and actually decided that I wanted to stay there so I came back home and then and then collected some stuff and, and flew out and moved to Turkey and kind of didn't really have a plan for what I wanted to do as a job but um it turned out that it was quite easy as a as a person who was a kind of native English speaker to get a job teaching English and actually I feel really sorry for my initial students because <laughs> I was completely unqualified I had no experience as I said really of, of languages at all and definitely not of teaching them mm. um, and I think practices are better now but at the time it was super simple to get a job yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just because of my my having grown up speaking English so I kind of learned a lot about teaching and about English actually through that first uh, initial six months of being an untrained teacher at, at and I the learned same about time the... as, as learning Turkish right yeah yeah so well, I learned a lot about the yeah actually I learned so I had to focus on English grammar which I knew implicitly before but didn't have any ability to explain and then at the same time was learning Turkish because of living there and had quite a strong kind of desire to integrate I guess into into society yeah, there and yeah. and to and to feel like I wasn't kind of an outsider so I started learning Turkish actually just from a, a self-study book and it was 
I quite like, it was it's very rule based Turkish and I quite mm-hmm. like that because you could kind of understand a rule or learn a rule and then you could see its application pretty much everywhere yeah. without any exceptions. That's always nice. Yeah, and it felt really good because then you, even if you didn't really understand that much of the broader sentence, you'd be able to tell like, ah, oh, that's that particular uh, suffix which is used to indicate this person or mm. that tense or something. That's amazing. Um, All of that kind of from, um, you know, the only sort of material you were using by the sound of things was, you know, a teach yourself book and then a hell of a lot of motivation. Yeah, and I had friends who were who were who Turkish. And mm. so actually it was a, quite a funny story. For early on when I was there, like I'd learn a few phrases, but my Turkish friends would help me with the pronunciation. So I'd like sit and listen to them do the, with the pronunciation. So I think my my pronunciation might be, was kind of maybe indicated a level of proficiency that I didn't actually have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I remember one time I went onto a boat and uh, there's boats across the, the Bosphorus and you can get like tea and like little um, like simit bread things and stuff and um so i i ordered by like saying the things maybe with an all right accent and then um and then i said to the person like how much nekara and they told me the amount but i had no way of understanding the amount (laughs) so like after that kind of like i don't know i was like quite pleased with myself because of the early stages of the interaction and then i was completely unable to like get out the money that they'd asked so i just had to hold my hand out And like extend it out to them for them to take out the money. Um, <laughs> you hadn't got to the numbers chapter yet. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think having the input in terms of uh, well, the, the kind of pronunciation support that I had from my friends was was helpful. Mm. And then I think yeah, that desire to kind of to integrate was was really strong. So I think that that definitely helped. Um, but the book was also like it's pretty, it was a pretty kind of I guess. Um, old school approach yeah um but it was just a book of you know different chapters based on different things yeah like numbers or mm. you know, different forms of the past tense or or whatever it might be and i would just kind of systematically work my way through um writing big vocabulary lists as i went kind of trying to learn them um yeah just like covering them up and remembering them and then uncovering them i, I yeah i wasn't using i don't think any technology at all actually yeah. in my um in my learning of, of Turkish at the time. And this is just to say, this is 2006. Yeah, not that long um, ago. Yes. Definitely long enough, yeah. So, I mean, I'm always interested in kind of um, teachers' perspectives because, um, you know, we, we take a very learner-centric approach here, but we don't often hear from teachers. Um, mm. As sort of a language teacher, what sort of attributes did you see in your more successful students? I mean, mm. may, maybe beyond the obvious ones, like turning up to class every time or whatever. Doing their homework. Doing their homework, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know, actually. Um, let's think. So I think a, a, like a genuine interest in the language yeah. was really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. So not just, I guess some people are motivated in different ways. And for some people, they're kind of having like, uh, I don't know, booked onto an exam or something is a real motivator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those people worked really hard and therefore often kind of did quite well. Yeah. But that was maybe a, a different type of learner to somebody who or a different kind of feel to somebody who really wanted or really was genuinely really interested like people who watched films uh in english and actually read stuff about read english articles about things they were otherwise really interested in whether it was like art or sport or music or something that kind of then meant that they were they were they had input they had material which could help them to learn and they kind of then noticed things and i suppose yeah, yeah that's that whole idea of how able are they to notice the language that they see and then up, use that language to then update their own 
understanding of English. Yeah. Um, so I suppose, yeah, like a curiosity and a, and a kind of attentiveness to the language that they see in the world around them was it was a, a key thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess also if this kind of thing works for you, then just having a clear goal like yeah. of yeah. Um, a, an exam that you really don't want to fail <laughs> or has cost you a lot of money. Um, <laughs> yeah. And maybe the people who were genuinely interested in the language kind of had a bit more fun with it because it was something which kind of fitted in or integrated better into their other other aspects of their mm. life. Whereas some people who were just doing it for the exam, maybe it was, you know, you're either studying or you're going and doing your having your social life and your mm. free time. Mm. Um, so I suppose it, I, I guess it depends on, on what kind of thing motivates you as a learner. Yeah. Um, so it, um, it all came kind of down to, uh, to motivation underpinning it. In many ways. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, motivation, but also kind of yeah, inquisitiveness. Yes. I think. Yeah. Um, and I suppose some people just were fortunate enough to have that, um, and maybe that's yeah. I suppose that's something which um, maybe comes from, for example, living in a particular place or having some friends that uh -huh. speak that language, uh, or or really being particularly interested in. A particular type of art or, or yeah, music yeah. or cooking or something from a, a country that then helps you to kind of get that love for it uh, also people often the people mm -hmm. who had partners who were uh, who they spoke english with did really well <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah i can imagine or people who um spend their time socializing as well like this is especially true in places like malta and like england where i was teaching when you know people would come from all over the world to learn there and people who hung out with people who spoke their their home language tended to do, you know, make far slower progress than mm -hmm. people who just hung out with other people who were speaking English all the time. Mm -hmm. And that was quite interesting to see, actually, people who made a, a conscious effort not to live in a house full of other people who spoke um, the same language as them, other Russian people or, or Spanish people or whatever, mm -hmm. and actually chose to live in a mixed house, which, okay, might not be as kind of on the surface enjoyable from the outset no. it actually has a real benefit in the future of helping people to kind of you know just practice a lot more have a lot more opportunity for Definitely. practice so you then um when you're in Malta you kind of made a, a pivot into the the technology side right yeah it was it was kind of a bit of um well it was it was quite fortunate really i've been interested in technology as a teaching tool and i was um helping to write some uh, different syllabuses for the school I was working at um, and I was asked specifically to write the, the syllabus on technology so it was like a short course that um, people could take that learners could take kind of um, on top of their general English study about different areas so there was mm -hmm. one about uh, fashion I think there was one about media and one about technology and a few other things and I wrote the technology syllabus um, and then worked and I've been writing a few um, kind of teaching materials and things before that so I was starting to do things which weren't teaching or classroom focused, but were, yeah, more materials writing mm -hmm. and syllabus design and so on. And then the school is a, it's a large chain of, of language schools mm -hmm. and their headquarters are in Malta. Uh -huh. um, and they had a, a plan to uh, provide some kind of online teaching tools and, and support. And they needed somebody to provide the kind of pedagogical teacher type input. And I interviewed for that and then got that job. And it was the first time for maybe like pretty much ever in my life actually that I had a job like with an email address and in an office <laughs> with a computer oh, wow. you, made like, it. you made it at that point <laughs> but it was it was strange because it was so 
different. I mean, yeah. like when you're when I was teaching, your time is so managed. Like you have a class that starts here, and you have to have prepped before yeah. it, and then this is where your break is, and then you know you've got however many different classes with different level students and what have you, and then reports to write. And it went from yeah, an incredibly structured kind of yeah, incredibly structured day to then me actually having to make my own decisions about how to spend my time and what was the best thing to prioritize and how we'd organize things that had an impact over I don't know yeah six months or a year whereas I suppose with the sort of teaching I was doing it was often you know you'd work in four week cycles or six or maybe 12 week cycles Mm. but it was kind of different when um yeah when just doing basically an office job but yeah that was my first actual bit of yeah, I guess my first kind of insight into the world of building technology for language learning. Mm-hmm. So you then, I've got a bit of a blank space in my mind, but you, you came back to London, right? And, and started yeah. working in, in technology here. Yeah, so it was, yeah, so we started that, that job in Malta doing the sort of pedagogical side of, of the tech, this, this new tech product. And actually, this was before the days of agile product development. So we were working mm-hmm. on the on the product for a really long time before we released it um, and now there's this move towards you know uh, building things kind of quite quickly and in an iterative way so that yep. you can always get feedback from your learners and mm-hmm. this was kind of before that process or maybe at the beginning of that process being popularized but anyway we weren't working in that way so we had a about 12 I think 12 or 15 months of developing this thing before it uh, reached learners and got any testing um, and uh, it was, yeah, I guess to cut a long story short, it was uh, too long and it hadn't uh, generated any revenue or anything. And the <laughs> decision was made that they would actually um, not not do this anymore. Um, so I was made redundant from that job. And then on the day that I was made redundant, I looked online and I saw a job at um, an ed tech startup based in London. Uh-huh. And it was, it was pretty much like an hour after I found out, I went online and it was one of the first jobs that I saw that I thought, actually, that would be, Great, and so then uh, ended up ended up interviewing it and getting that job, and then um, yeah, so came back to London for that, which is which is really good to come back to uh, another job which was entirely tech focused and um, kind of could take a lot of the things that I learned from my time building the things that yeah. we did in Malta into that role here, but working with something which was already out in the market had mm. millions of, of users already. So yeah, it was quite I was I felt quite fortunate actually to be able to have that. Yeah, that transition. So this this was like one of the major language learning apps then. Yeah, it was. Yeah, can we name names? Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was it was Busu, uh-huh. and yeah, Busu had started life in in Germany. No, sorry, actually in Madrid, but it had um, a, a German founder. But they um, the founders had met when they were doing an MBA program in in Germany. Mm-hmm. Sorry, in Madrid. Um, and then they'd moved the company to London in order to kind of expand. So it was just, it was doing really well, lots of um, interesting stuff happening and I, I guess lots of kind of investment into it. Um, it was just before the time of Duolingo. So then yeah. Duolingo kind of changed things in the market quite a lot, which meant that, um, yeah, I, I suppose Boosie had to struggle to find what its position was. And it's now actually has done a really great job of that, but I think mm-hmm. it was a bit of a, a kind of um, ch- slightly challenging time during the time that I was there. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I was only there for for about a year, but it was it learned a huge amount and it was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And nice team of people, actually really amazing team of people that they'd brought together. Okay, and and after a year at um, Boosie, you moved to your current role, right? Yeah, so I, I had actually started a blog when I was made redundant in Malta. I started a blog. It was called ELT Plus Tech. Oh, sadly, I remember no, that. Yeah, sadly no longer live. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I actually need to find the posts and put them out somewhere else because it was it was it was 
I enjoyed writing it and it was a way of me I suppose demonstrating some understanding of technology and language learning yeah. in the hope that it would lead to to jobs and that I would meet some interesting people and and also help me to kind of um, organize my own knowledge a little bit around certain blog posts organized but also extend it into certain areas so i was doing that and um at the same time uh, the elt jam blog was founded and that was by three uh three people who used to work at cambridge university press um and they were writing about technology and language learning and so we did a kind of a cross post i think i did a i interviewed them for my blog and i did a guest post on on their blog and then kind of got quite interested in what they were doing and i think yeah i felt that there was a kind of more of a pedagogical focus and a, a, a kind of informed second language focus mm. to the work that was being done in ELT Jam. And I maybe saw that as absent in some of the newer kind of ed tech companies. Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so we just got talking and um, kind of spent about, well, I suppose a few months trying to organize what what I would do <laughs> in ELT Jam <laughs> and how that transition would work. But, um, yeah, after about a year at, at, at Busa, I moved across to ELT Jam. And that was, yeah, I guess about a year after they had started. Yeah. And about four years ago now, I suppose, yeah. four, yeah, just over four years ago. Um, so I'm interested in your perspective then on sort of the role of technology in language learning as a teacher, as a technologist and as a learner. So I'll start with a sort of a broad question, but do you think technology in general has actually made us better language learners? I suppose it probably hasn't made us, um, you know, neurologically, physiologically better language learners yet, but it's probably given us more opportunities. Um, and I suppose it's changed behaviour in a way that probably is more conducive to learning certain aspects of a language or learning a, a language in certain ways. So I suppose that was a, a bit of a, uh, a sitting on the fence answer, but I, broadly speaking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what are some of those ways, would you say? I think, well, there's lot, just the... the amount of the new affordances that there are mm -hmm. um in terms of what technology can provide um how easily we're able to be to store information to retrieve that information to organize that information that, that's that's super helpful yeah. um in terms of um for example storing vocabulary and learning vocabulary um there's maybe more opportunities for learning as we're able to learn from phones and computers and aren't required to travel physically to a to a certain place there's obviously a, a huge number of new applications and organizations helping people to learn languages in ways that wasn't previously available to them. I think things like um, corpus linguistics, so an understanding of or an analysis of how language is actually used, yeah. has had a really big impact on what kind of language is taught yeah. to learners. Yeah. Um, so whereas previously, um, it might be that, you know, the the decisions about what to include in a particular book or vocabulary list came from the person who was writing it. Whereas now we can look at, we can analyze how language is actually used in different contexts and different mm -hmm. scenarios and say, actually this word is, is far more common mm -hmm. than this other word. So let's teach that. Yeah. Uh, or this particular phrase is, is really common in this particular scenario or this particular context. So let's help people who want to learn about that context too, by helping them learn this particular phrase. So I think that that's kind of way that technology is changing mm -hmm. the, the content that we're learning and maybe making it a more efficient efficient process kind of but maybe that's more in the background mm. um do, do you think then um just going back to your days in turkey learning turkish you know i can imagine you sitting uh with your teach yourself book or whatever it was you had that kind of at least that singular level of focus do you think if you had access to you know the various apps and and other technologies learning turkish you'd have learned more quickly or would it have made no difference for you 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that the focus thing is definitely um, problematic when so many different apps and websites are vying for your attention. I guess good to have one place that you can go back to. And for me, that was that book. But I think, you know, just in terms of my ability to memorize vocabulary or the ability for me to find content that I could read, connect with other people who could answer a question for me. Uh, I think that those opportunities being there, I, I, I feel I, I would have learned more Okay. Yeah. if the things had been available to me. Mm-hmm. But I suppose I would have had to have just a different system. So I would have, I need, would have needed a system that involved those different bits of technology. Whereas as it was, I had a system which just involved a notebook and, and my book and speaking to my friends and help them help me with pronunciation. But um, I, I think that some of the affordances of the technology which is now available, if I'd integrated that into my system, then, um, yeah, it definitely would have helped or made things easier or did, more efficient. Did you, did you have a system, though? <laughs> I mean, just or just uh, or was it more that you just, like, you really wanted to learn and you had this book and you had the, and you were there, so you had the opportunity? Well, I guess I had a system in that I, I made a decision that I would work my way through a book. Okay. I would then separately, like, write all the different the things that I was learning. I'd write them out in, the, in, the te- in like, a, uh, a notebook, I then have it, and so I started that from the front, and then from the back of the book, I wrote vocabulary lists. So every time I was doing a particular topic, I'd write that topic area as a vocabulary list in the, in the back of the book, mm. and then I'd go, I'd, you know, I'd spend some time like working through the grammar, writing out sentences in the front, and then other times kind of memorizing the vocabulary that I'd come across in the back of the book, and then I'd uh, get a newspaper which was far, far beyond my level of understanding yeah. actually, and <laughs> I would. Uh, read along with the dictionary and then try and look up some of the words in order to get a, a kind of gist understanding of the articles that I was reading. Mm. That plus then I suppose, yeah, trying to talk to people and uh, yeah, I suppose, I suppose there was some element of the system there, but it was... Okay. I think was, that's um, one of the kind of criticisms of, I suppose there's, there's various levels of technology in, in terms of how they help for your language learning. You've got, you know, the smaller... Um, point solutions let's say which might help you with memorization or, or with your pronunciation mm. perhaps then you've got those all-encompassing like a, a busu or a duolingo which kind of claim that you know you can you can just use us and that's all that's kind of all you need to do um, mm. and that's I think one of the criticisms is that when well really anything claims to be like the system for learning a language that's when people sort of lose their own their own system if you like so it sounds like with you you know, whether you're using, whether it was an app or a book, whatever, you kind of had your way of going to, to learn a language and you made things fit in with your approach. Whereas I think with, for example, uh, maybe Duolingo or Busu, it's the other way around. So they'll say, all you need to do is log in. You don't need to think, you don't need to worry. We're going to do everything for you. You just need to yeah. tap these buttons. Am I over-exaggerating that maybe? <laughs> I'm not sure. No, I, I think... Yeah, I, I, I do think that's a valid point. And when um, I was listing those things out before, I suppose I was focusing on the things that do help um, yeah, yeah. and the, ra- the ways that technology can kind of provide these new affordances. But I'd say that on the negative side, definitely we haven't always seen that like, and this was an observation by um, a man named David Gradol, who does a lot of kind of analysis in into language learning, uh, but specifically English language learning around the world. And um, he kind of noticed that there was like where there was cutting edge technology there wasn't necessarily cutting edge pedagogy mm-hmm. and in fact actually cutting edge technology often meant 
a bit of a regression in pedagogy within the app itself you mean or within the app itself but also yeah and i guess because of some of the business models obviously um the learner is incentivized to stay entirely within the application Mm -hmm. rather than going off and doing other things outside the app which might pedagogically be much more effective for them so i think that this these some of these technological solutions are maybe a little bit blunt in Mm. their their approach and maybe using slightly outdated yeah slightly outdated models of of language learning um for example grammar translation was something which was super popular you know like at the turn of the century and could you just explain quickly what grammar translation is sure so grammar translation was a, a kind of method of learning a language where you would just get a passage in another language and then you would just translate it into your own language um Mm -hmm. understanding as you did well the the idea was that as you did this translation you would understand the links between the grammar of one language and the and of your own so it was just a a process of getting an article and translating it into english or translating it from english into the language that you were learning Mm. um and this was really popular until i think around the 1940s where there was a, a desire for people to learn language which was a bit more kind of live and a bit more um kind of useful in an everyday context Mm -hmm. so there's a kind of shift away from translation as the key kind of activity in language learning and there still has you know that that shift i think arguably went too far the other way and Mm -hmm. translation was kind of thought of as uh, as a really undesirable thing and learners in especially in english language teaching classrooms were taught to like not use their own language in in the classroom and it was kind of that was rule number one wasn't it yeah it was and so i think actually that was um, still a kind of hangover from the reaction to grammar translation or mm-hmm. the kind of realisation that grammar translation wasn't a helpful way of you being communicative, we then shifted across to saying, actually, don't translate, don't use your own language. And, I mean, everyone ultimately is translating in their head anyway, so it's a really kind of artificial thing to ask people to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I, and, and I think that translation is now... There's, I think more people see more of a role for translation in language learning than they did say 10 or 20 years ago. I think that's a really good thing. But I guess kind of interesting that Duolingo focuses kind of almost entirely on translation. And I think a lot of that is because of their their business model. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of, I guess it didn't seem to be produced with an in-depth understanding of second language acquisition Mm -hmm. theory. Mm -hmm. It was much more focused on we're trying to solve a particular like almost like a business problem and then yeah. keep people in that application for as long as possible. So I think back to your point, like that might not have been what's best for a learner, having that single point of focus and that single point of focus being so heavily um, reliant upon translation probably isn't the best way of learning a language, yeah, even yeah. if it is partic- you know, really engaging and there's lots of good gamification in there and it keeps people coming back and so on. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that, 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 that there, there's not always, there's not always sort of that there's good positive outcomes from new technology that, that, that's, that's always going to be the case right with apps because like you say you know they've got to make money quickly or they, they have to have some kind of business model um or, or return on investment and you know the best learning experience within an app might not necessarily be the most popular one right every app has a business model they have yeah. numbers they're trying to drive whether it's downloads time using the app mm. that kind of thing but I don't think necessarily those numbers or those metrics always align with actual progress being made by learners. So as a learner, you might find that an app is very engaging. It's very sticky, as we say, you know, you, you keep mm. coming back to it. And those are good things, obviously, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best learning experience for mm. you, right? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that some of this comes down to the difference between user experience as a kind of field and learner experience as a field. So user experience broadly focuses on making your life as a user of a digital product or service kind of as easy and smooth and frictionless as possible. Mm -hmm. Whereas language learning or learning is kind of inherently requires some friction. Uh There is some level of challenge and struggle, which is necessary for you to actually acquire the information or the knowledge or skills that you're trying to learn. So you have these applications that try to create a really good user experience and make it, as you said, really sticky and really engaging and really frictionless and people can stay in there and they get points and so on. But actually, is there that level of necessary friction, that challenge and that struggle, which kind of helps with the language learning? Because mm. quite often, put if you put that in there, then people are put off because language learning is harsh. Yeah, yeah, There's no exactly. real getting around that. It's yeah. a super challenging thing to do. There's a huge amount just of that sheer vocabulary volume of vocabulary that you need to get through as well as the understanding of all of the the grammatical structures and the the different skills speaking listening reading writing so so much to do and such yeah a kind of inherent friction in there which is maybe at odds with a kind of modern tech company's desire to Mm -hmm. make your life super easy Yeah, yeah um and i think sometimes that that kind of falls falls down a little bit and i guess kind of leading on from that maybe the 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 best approach for a learner is to be able to say like what problem is this bit of technology solving for me so uh, i suppose maybe having that awareness is is sometimes quite challenging but um rather than just adopting it because it's easy to use or because there's a kind of helpful marketing message yeah or kind of shiny marketing message actually thinking what is the problem that this thing this particular bit of technology is solving for me is it helping me because at the moment I'm spending too long um, and I can't remember the vocabulary that I'm learning. Is it helping me to have opportunities to speak, to read, yeah. to listen, to um, practice different grammatical forms, whatever it might be, but like, what's the actual the, the thinking first about what the problem is? And then actually if it isn't solving a problem for you, feeling comfortable to say, actually, well, then I don't need that app or I don't need that part of that. Definitely. I, I can completely sympathize with that. I'm, I mentioned in some previous podcasts, I'm trying to learn, relearn French like you, I did it for GCSE, um, mm. which basically means I have almost zero level, but um, I've, I've become, been going at it in a, in a in various, like three prongs, I would say. So um, number one, I found this old BBC textbook and managed to dig out like the accompanying YouTube videos, which is, um, I think produced in the seventies and it kind of, you know, it's the classic, you've got a, a paragraph of text then some questions that highlights the vocabulary and then the supporting videos are quite nice um and i'm you know i'm enjoying that secondly um a friend of liz's lives in france um so we kind of every couple of weeks i just do a skype call with her and well she's colombian so we kind of speak in spanish she practices a bit of english and i can practice a bit of french as well but then thirdly i'm kind of experimenting with various apps so i'm using um memorize which i do like um, I'm using one called Drops. I've kind of gone through Duolingo as well. And the thing is with those is that they are they are convenient, definitely. Like you say, you know, you can sit on a train and in five minutes you might cover a few um, new phrases or something like that. But what does stick out for me, what I don't necessarily like, is that they kind of try to be that all-encompassing approach. You know, the message mm. for the learner is use this app and you're going to learn French in you know, two months or whatever, and it's, it's going to be great. You're going to have fun doing it and it's going to be easy. Whereas I know from learning Spanish that 
that's a nice attractive message but it's just not the case unfortunately mm. yeah and it's maybe not very uh good from a business perspective to say right. it's a really hard long challenging journey and you've just got to stick at the slot yeah, but we'll exactly. make that imagine, slightly more enjoyable imagine slightly if you said that in your in your app you produce a new app and you said it's going to be really hard you're not going to enjoy it yeah. but, but download me anyway <laughs> but you know i think that honesty is would be quite nice and refreshing and i think you know a lot of the I think one of the differences is whether the product is created for directly going to consumers, to learners, or whether it's a a product that's for um, businesses, like Mm -hmm. for schools or institutions or whatever. Because the marketing message that is directly for learners quite often has or tends to be more, yeah, I guess, uh, let's say positive (laughs) or, I don't know, maybe glossing over some of the challenges. But I don't know. I think that, that, yeah, if there were... I don't, maybe. But I, I, can, yeah. I can get it as well because the number one fear in a new language learner's mind is, is like you say, this is going to be really hard. They've got a hangover mm. from their school days of a failed <laughs> attempt at learning a language and they think like, this is like the, the work of a lifetime. It's going to be really hard. I don't mm. even know where to start. Whereas you've got an app which says, download me. Um, you don't even need to think. We're going to do all of your thinking for you. Um, I'm mm. sort of paraphrasing. Uh, all you need to do is, you know, look at the pictures of, of cartoon characters and press the right button and get points. And then as mm. you go, you'll be learning a language. I, you, yeah. I, I get a lot of emails from people saying, you know, they, they use Duolingo in conjunction with other things um, yeah. or, 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 you know, whatever app. And that seems to me, and I think you're alluding to this as well, that's that's the best approach, right? These these apps do have a place, but you can't kind of let them direct you. It has to be the other way around. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, when we talked about at the very beginning is technology helping i mean i i guess i was including in that technology in that we've got uh you know phones available with mm. um you know a note making function yeah, yeah. Uh, you can do audio recording so you could like mm. record your voice and then listen back and kind of see if you can help and you know m- improve your own pronunciation or send audio messages to friends via whatsapp and then give each other feedback on them so like these kind of things which aren't sp- even specifically language learning focused but they're bits of technology which are available which can really help facilitate language acquisition Mm, mm. um so yeah i think i think that that is the key thing using the using different tools that are at your disposal for the to help with a particular problem that they can solve Mm -hmm. but kind of being aware that you will need to do that piecing together and also yeah have some kind of understanding of how those things interlink with each other um which again i guess comes back to that kind of idea of autonomy and motivation so if you can be somebody who who kind of enjoys coming up with that system and is inquisitive about the different the language that's around them and can sort of think of different ways that that can be brought into their language learning experience then I guess that kind of stands you in quite good stead yeah yeah okay um just to finish up then I'm I'm kind of interested um in where you see the future of language learning going Mm. there's those who say that um you know with innovations that Google's making Google Translate and so on pretty soon we'll all be wearing an earpiece and be able to go to any country and interact frictionlessly is that a word with Mm -hmm. um with you know the the locals and that no one will even need to learn a language where where do you stand on that um well it depends because i think if you're talking about you know learning a couple of phrases to help you get by in yeah a, a country that you're going to on holiday and have no desire really to actually Kind of live there or integrate particularly then actually those those translation tools could be quite helpful mm-hmm. i know that i use google translate when i'm in places because they've got a, a function where if you write the text in 
and then you turn the phone to landscape, the text that you've, the translation of what you've just typed, that goes really big and you can just hold it out to somebody <laughs> and they can read it and then provide you with what you need and you can like download um, packs to do the translations offline and stuff. And that is super helpful and I think really serves a purpose. But I think, you know, to actually have meaningful relationships with people right. and to engage on a, a kind of deeper level or to understand more about people in their lives, I think definitely Google and other tools can get you some of the way there, but I think not enough for... Uh, some sort of deeper or more genuine yeah. human connections and interactions. So I think there'll always be a place for, for learning. Uh-huh. Um, and also just that it, it is, I think, academically and enjoyable. Lots of people yeah, find definitely. it academically enjoyable. And that challenge is, is is kind of engaging and motivating in itself because you've got this this kind of goal of communication which comes out of it. So maybe we'll see more things, you know, focus on, on bits of functional language maybe. Uh, and actually that might be quite maybe um a kind of interesting development no, that, so that's um definitely something i agree with i think people who kind of say language learning is dead because we're, no one's going to need to learn languages entirely misses the point of learning languages it's been a long yeah. time now that you know we've been we've had translators and so on where for those transactional scenarios if you're ordering whatever or you need to get a bus ticket then yeah you can use google translate and you'll get something done but like you say people don't necessarily learn languages just to do that um, yeah. it's all about connection it's all about communication and if you have technology even if it is very smoothly integrated that's always going to be a barrier of some sort i, I remember yeah. recently i was in um, victoria coach station and um, there was this uh, chinese person family um, who didn't speak any english and this guy um, i felt kind of sorry for him, to be honest but he um he basically sort of spoke into this gizmo it wasn't the phone and then this thing like sp- spoke out in english what he said in chinese and he was going up to everyone asking the same question and this was a crowded bus terminal everyone was kind of looking at each other thinking like it was it was a it was an odd sit scenario i think like yeah technology helped him get his point across there and, and well, without without what, that he wouldn't be able to do anything but what was he asking uh, he didn't. I I can't remember, but he was just saying uh, maybe something like which bus goes to Heathrow or something like that. Right. Um, okay. But it, everyone will. It was just. A, it was an odd situation, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah. I but don't maybe know if... that will become more more common. Yeah. Because people yeah, yeah. will expect more that you know there is that ability to translate through a phone. Mm. Um, but so I think yeah. That, I mean that's maybe one strand of where things will go. That those tools will become more maybe more helpful more mm-hmm. effective mm-hmm. and that some people who would otherwise have learned a few phrases might not need to anymore because those tools will be good yeah. and and effective in that particular situation but yeah i think there will always be a place for people actually wanting to or needing to learn a language for genuine interaction or communication or purposes and that kind of like deeper level of understanding and so i think that the way one of the things that we've will hopefully see in terms of the future of language learning is a more learner-centered approach to the way that mm-hmm. products are developed. Mm. And I think we, I think you can see it quite a lot, and maybe at the beginning of the, the kind of rise of ed tech, that things were almost done because of the technological affordance rather than with that understanding of what the learner really wants or really yeah. needs. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the work that we do at ELT Jam is about helping to be more helping organizations to be more learner centered. So actually figuring out what the problem is that learners have, whether that's in a classroom or, um, you know, in their, in their free time, but trying to then think of what the solutions are so that the technology can really help with that particular problem. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, I, I, I think that we'll see benefits of that. And I think we'll see, you know, products that are maybe more for specific purposes or for specific uh, kind of learning outcomes in a way that, you know, maybe Duolingo tries to be super broad now and says for anybody learning any language, this is the one place you can come. Mm. Whereas actually, it, you know, it might be a more effective language learning tool if we can say, right, this particular thing is for you in order to capture language from the world around you and store it in your phone. That's the mm -hmm. thing which mm -hmm. this particular product is solving. Or yeah. this is one to help you to um, better understand articles or podcasts that you're reading or listening to in your everyday life. So kind of smaller, yeah, maybe, maybe solutions that, that solve a, a more specific problem mm -hmm. for a specific learn or learning outcome. Mm -hmm. I think we'll still, there'll be a lot of place for those. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, just to finish up then, Joe, um, is there any kind of anything you're working on at the moment or any places which you would want people to go and check you out and the work you're doing? Um, well, so you can uh, check out the ELT Jam blog mm -hmm. um, and there we talk about different things that interest us about uh, yeah, the world of technology and, and language learning, um, maybe more focused on English language learning and teaching, but uh, a lot of stuff there relevant for any other language too. We run an event every year, um, and that uh, in Barcelona around innovation in language learning. That's in May, so I think that well, the tickets aren't available yet, but you can uh, watch this space <laughs> for uh, for more information. Um, Always the a event good excuse to go in, to Barcelona. Yeah, lovely excuse to go to yeah. Barcelona, and it's in uh, in May, and it's called Innovate ELT. Uh -huh. Yeah, if you're interested in any of them, and then also. I, uh, the work that we do is helping organizations to um, understand learners better and then build um, or evolve technology that really meets those needs. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we work with organizations large and small to kind of help do that from the consultancy and conceptualization phase all the way through to actually doing the technology build or the design or the, the learning content as, as required by the organizations we work with. So if you have any problems that you would help, like help solving with, then get in touch and we can... Um, yeah, we can chat about that. Great. Well, thank you very much, Joe. That was fantastic. All right. Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure. Thanks again to Joe and the team at ELT Jam. You can check them out in the notes to this podcast. We'll be back again before too long with more episodes. But in the meantime, happy language learning. <laughs>